0: Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please, contribute generously to Future Primitive. My friends who listen to future primitive. Today people were having a live interview. It's not through the phone. it's actually sitting and looking at a wild, powerful woman. And her name is Anne Philomere, PhD. She is an educator, poet, teacher and mentor. Anne was trained as a traditional healer by the late Kiwedinokwe Kwe Peschel. She'll say that for us. Mm-hmm. She served as key graduate teaching and research assistant at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and as her personal apprentice or helper for 20 years. Ki was a Culture carrier, a storyteller, and a healer. In the Midewiwin tradition of the Northern Great Lakes, Ki served as a Nanishina Beg, mashikwe, Mashikikwe, Ojibwe herbal medicine woman, and continues in this tradition. Dr. Philomere was the academic dean at the Institute of American Arts Institute in Santa Fe for nine years prior to joining Southwestern College. She also studied holistic health, herbal medicine, massage, counseling, and meditation. Her educational path connects her passion for creative expression with a concern for healing ourselves and the earth.
1: Mm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So I was wondering if
0: you'd like to add, I, I didn't say your title at mm. Southwestern. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'll, um, so I'm the Vice President of Academic Affairs here, the Dean and the Director of the Transformational Psychology Program, which was part of uh, the passion I had to come and really develop this Currently, it's a certificate, and we're looking at creating a whole graduate program on earth-based practices for health and wellness, which ask us to think of health and wellness in a completely new way, that our own individual health is connected directly to the health of the earth, the water, the air, the animals, and the plants, and that we're not going to get well if our place is not well, and that this is a relationship that is key to our own well-being even if we have failed to understand it in kind of the modern mainstream approach about individual health so it's reframing health and wellness in a in a picture that is inclusive of the other than human community as a true partner so that's sort of the model that really keywetenokwe you pronounced it very well wow keywetenokwe um the translation for her is woman of the northwest wind And she was an Anishinaabe Mashkikikwe, or an Ojibwe herbal medicine woman. Um, In their language, uh, Mashkikikwe is literally a woman of power. Mm. Mashkiki is power. So that's a kind of more literal translation. Other people would call her a shaman, this kind of language. And she would always say, oh, no, that's from Siberia. You know, that's their word. So, you know, she wanted us to use the word in her language, which was more for her accurate um, because power in this sense was not about power over. Uh, it was about power with being in relationship with the powers of the universe and acting in in that relationship. So one is in relationship with the wind and the stars and the weather patterns, the weather systems. These great these are the powers, and one is in relationship with those powers in order to serve. So it's all about service and not about power as accumulation as we have in the Western world, the notion that power is accumulation of wealth or accumulation of authority or some other form of accumulation. She was like, no, no, it's about sharing. Power is essentially about the ability to be in relationship. That's the source of power. And she would say, I feel very sad for those people who've accumulated so many things, but they have no relationships. Look how sick they are. Look how unhappy they are. Look how much damage they're doing to the earth. You know, how imbalanced. So, balance is the fundamental, the key. But balance has to happen only within relationship. So, that's kind of very fundamental. And I was lucky I met her when I was 20. So, I was a very restless teenager, very angry, very impulsive, kind of wild girl, and just like, what am I going to do? I don't want to grow up and work for a corporation. I don't want to have that life in the suburbs. I don't want to, you know, I don't want any of that. But I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what options were available. I didn't know where to look. And um, I began to really study plant medicine, and this is how I met her. And she was um, probably about the age I am now, and she was beginning to look for students. And it was 1979.
0: Wow. In
1: 1978, in the United States, her faith tradition, her religion was illegal. Native American religions were prosecuted in the United States until 1978. People don't know this. Whoa, I didn't realize Because, see, the Europeans came here for freedom of religion, right? But they did not allow the religion of the Native people because when they had their spiritual traditions, they couldn't be conquered. They were too strong. So even when Key was growing up, when they would do their ceremonies, they would decide ahead when the police come who will say they're the organizer? Who will be arrested? How will we get the bail money? Who will take care of their children? How will we end the ceremony in this location, but regather it in an even more secret location? Because once we begin a ceremony, we have to finish it because it's for the spirits. So they would have to end and rebegin. So she grew up in that culture of secrecy, which was across the entire United States, which is why so many Native people are so resistant to including or sharing because of that uh, punitive life they had up until 1978. And it's called the the American Indian Freedom of Religion Act, which finally passed the US Congress in 1978. So in 1979, she began to look for students. Mm -hmm. But in her own community, people were so afraid because of being punished for practicing the old traditional ways. Many, many, many people had converted to Catholicism. In the Great Lakes area, it's mostly very French-influenced, and there's a lot of missions. Here in this area is Spanish. Up there, it was French. So um, they had abandoned the traditional ways, and some had even incorporated the dominant culture idea that it was witchcraft, that it was evil. So she couldn't find students in her own community. And, of course, that's where she started, When she couldn't find young people in her own community because of them considering her to be perhaps a witch or something evil, Mm -hmm. as the Catholic portrayed it, um, she began to be willing to take students who were seeking from other cultural groups. So I was not raised Native, right? I was raised in the suburbs, white American, you know, Irish descent, But I didn't really have any connection to Ireland. You know, I didn't have connection to the traditions of the Celtic people because I was raised here. So even though I understood the Celtic people had an old root in earth-based ways, I didn't have any direct access to learn about it other than reading in a few books or some stories that, you know, you could learn, you know, because they believed in leprechauns and mermaids. You knew they had magical world. But you didn't really understand how to connect with it. So I was seeking some true, authentic connection. And this teacher was seeking some students who would be devoted. And we met. And so she said, I'm going to assimilate you. Yes.
0: (laughs) Really. I I wrote those down in big, big letters. I'm going to assimilate you. How, How wonderful. So... You're such an amazing storyteller. I'm smiling <laughs> from from uh, from one side of my face to the other. Why? Because every time a question pops up in my mind, you are answering <laughs> it with your words. So there's magic here. So if you would continue mm-hmm. to tell us about yeah. your journey, it's just...
1: Uh, so you're going to be assimilated. Right. So... Um... The first step of that process was, of course, to do the traditional rite of passage, which is called a vision quest in the you know, way that we talk about it. But um, she required preparation for that. And I had to learn, I had to start studying her language. That was the first requirement. Because the traditional prayers and songs are in the language. And she's like, I am um, going to require that of you. Are you willing to do that? And I'm like, of course, you know, let me try. Let me try my best, you know, because I don't know how will I learn this language. It's not structured the same way as English or a European language. It, the nouns and the verbs can turn into each other. So you don't have nouns and verbs as segregated classes of language because in their worldview, any object can also have action so a stone is not just a thing, it also has the action of being a stone. And so in their way, everything's animate, everything can act, everything has potential action because of that quality of animation. So just even for me to understand, to break up my worldview and think of nouns and verbs as interchangeable, really had I had to really crack through some barriers in my own mind. How I saw the world or thought of things, I had to be I was challenged very deeply to begin to understand in a new way, like like the table is tabling
0: exactly yes, i right. trying to <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: right, yeah, you know, um, so that's a whole nother way to understand language, and then the prayers and the songs, there were specific ones I had to learn before I could do that particular rite of passage and She ultimately said, you know, you and I have discussed how we might work together, but it's going to be up to the spirits. So I didn't know what that meant, like what spirits exactly do or, you know. Did you grow up with a religion? Was a
0: religion imposed on you?
1: Um, My family, my mother became a Quaker. So that that helped because it's a little bit more open framework. But my father's family were Irish Catholic. So, you know, he had a more doctrinaire kind of... The background. Um, And then my mother was like, she didn't follow that, but she chose Quakerism as a young woman. So that was probably a big influence on me. And it was a more open belief system. What I love about the Quakers is social justice. They believe everyone is equally access to God. There's no hierarchy in terms of who's more spiritual or who can speak to the divine. But it's very human centered. They don't have any uh, real language around including, say, trees or rivers in that sacred circle. (gasps) I see. So as a little girl who was very drawn to nature, there was a disconnect. Even though I didn't rebel, I never rebelled against it, I still feel positively about that faith tradition and about the work people have done for social justice. And I still feel very close to that lineage. Yes. Um, but that was the piece that was missing, that they didn't really have a way of incorporating as conscious beings, the trees and the rivers and the springs and the mountains as conscious beings, they might hold them in regard that we should conserve these resources or treat them well and not pollute and so on. But the Anishinaabe worldview says these are conscious beings that have capacity to speak, to communicate, to, ex- to be in relationship with us like you and I are in relationship with each other. If we're able to really uh, listen to those plants or those other than human life forms. And that, that's a belief that is not, probably is true in many old cultures because of the closeness with which people lived in relationship to a specific river or mountain or spring or grove of trees. You know. But when we became much more mechanized and technolo- you know, the technology-based culture, we're very much engaged with human beings and human-made objects and the human capacity to remake something to take the tree and make furniture, to take the cotton and make clothing, to what we make we're more engaged with than the source. Yeah.
0: yeah. How do you know that you truly soul need something you objectify?
1: Right. Exactly. So this reductionist approach where, you know, things only have value if it's utilitarian. They only have value if we use them. And what's so cruel about this worldview is we do this with each other as human beings we do we treat each other only you only have value if you're of use to me you only have utilitarian value you don't have intrinsic value and when we're in relation to source we understand everything has intrinsic value it has value because it exists how do we
0: feel that, learn that? How do we okay, this is so incredibly crucial. So we've forgotten that. Yeah. And we go into I I was so deep and I would say I'm recovering um. from thinking, what do they want from me? Yes. Yes. Right. Or being afraid that they will think what does she want from me when I'm being sincere and so how do we how do we remember that we have this intrinsic this life force value for each other?
1: I think we have every opportunity if we make our awareness of what we're dependent upon conscious. Simple things. We are deep air animals. We don't live without air. If you take us out of the oxygenated environment, we have a very short span. But we don't take every breath and think, oh, I'm in relationship with the, with the wind. And the wind and I are together. And we don't think, wow, when I inhale oxygen and I exhale carbon dioxide, that green plant inhales carbon dioxide and releases oxygen. I'm not going to live very long without the plants, the green plants, and they're not going to live very long without me. I'm embedded in this unbelievably beautiful system. I'm part of the ecological system. So if I can begin to just wake up a little by little and see that intrinsic value, just my breath tells me that I'm in this relationship. But it's about somewhat slowing down. These are the kinds of courses I provide opportunities for people to just slow down, begin to shift their awareness, begin to see themselves as intrinsic. Because like you said, we end up reducing ourselves to usefulness mm-hmm. or to be of use. Or then we're afraid other people will think, if I want to connect with them, I want something from them. The whole culture is set up at this, this greed mentality of want and also of lack It's based because we don't feel we're enough. We've been told we don't have enough worth. We've been told we don't have any value. We've been told, especially in capitalism, that the only way that we're going to feel good is if we accumulate something that will make us feel good. If I have that, I'll feel good. If I get that car, if I get that purse, if I get that dress, if I get that lover, if I get that spouse, if I get that job, if I get that whatever, I'm going to be good enough. And we have to shift And this is the heart, the work of the heart, to see, oh, in myself, because I exist, I'm enough. I don't need that relationship or that person or that job or that object. Because in this objectification world, we too become objects for each other and with each other. It's very dehumanizing. No wonder we treat the natural environment as if it has no value. We treat each other that way, and we feel in ourselves this lack. So the healing is from within, all the way to the without. Do you see? It's very connected.
0: I'm, um, I'm, I'm crying because uh, you are speaking what's most dear to me, which uh, I define as intimacy.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So. I'm I'm desiring to go back to Kea, yes your 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 soul friend who as I'm listening to you led you deeper into the intimacy you craved right, right. with everything that is mm-hmm. everything is natural mm-hmm. so let's go back to her
1: yeah so um You know, Key had uh, suffered, obviously, in her life. Um, She had to hide who she was in order to live much of her life, so she had kind of a split world. And only after she began to really embrace her spiritual tradition publicly did she begin to really feel that she could integrate herself. And I was in her life, the last 20 years of her life, I was able to witness her own process as well, of healing. Because to pass in the world, Native people couldn't use their Native names. So in the world, she was called Margaret, wow. you know, a Christian name. Because in the school system, they wouldn't let them use their, their Indian names. So even their names were a secret. So when she came out, she came. She took her Indian name, which had been given to her through her vision quest. Say it again. Kiwetanokwe. Yes. Kiwerinokwe, and we called her Nokomis, which means grandmother, Nokomis, and that was our like relational term. I was her granddaughter. She adopted me as a granddaughter, so that was our kinship relation. And so to help her was to help her bring the ceremonies back out into the world, for her to begin to teach her ceremonies, her songs, her prayers, her traditions, her plant medicines, to learn and to help her teach. So I, I would do whatever she asked me, you know. She needed this plant. I would have to know the plant, what part she needed, where to gather it, how to pray to it, because every plant has its song or prayer, how to speak to that plant, how to gather it. So when I brought it back to her, if I hadn't done all that right, she knew. Because the plant would tell her. Intimacy with the plant. Intimacy with the plants, okay. <laughs> exactly. So I had to carry, you know, and it's oral tradition, So it's not written down, the songs, the prayers, the ceremonies are not written down. So you have to memorize. So I um, had those skills I was able to memorize. I I was able to learn the language, to, to grasp it and to begin to internalize it. And so I understood, could understand not just the words, but the deeper meaning. So I could be a helper in helping her carry this message out. And she grew frail near the end of her life, and uh, so we began to work together side by side in 1979, and she passed in 1999. And I have to say that at that time, then I I, I was um, in deep grief because I didn't really know how to carry on because I felt very lost, yeah. you know, very lost and very kind of like, oh, wow, I'm a helper but the one I'm helping is gone. I didn't understand how to continue to be a helper. You know, I didn't know what it would mean or what should that look like or how I could possibly even carry on or how I could do that. So I felt very lost and very sad. And um, I was living in Ohio at the time and someone in the community there had an Earth Day ceremony that they wanted to do a celebration. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to, they were working on a nature preserve, a very specific project. And they knew I could maybe offer some prayers or something. Mm -hmm. So they asked me would I come and would I do an opening for them, something to bring everyone together. So I did. I thought, okay, well, I'm being asked. And, you know, part of the training to be of service is that when you're asked, you show up. Yeah. You know? So if you're asked, you show up. So I might not have gone to this, but when I was asked, you know, you show up. That's right. So I went and I did this prayer. And there uh, was a woman there, and she said, I would like to learn that prayer. And she was part Native. And she said, I know that's a Native prayer. You said a little bit about it, but I really want to learn it. And I was very scared because I thought, well, I can't teach you. You know, the teacher's gone. Like, I'm sorry, but you missed, like, you you know, I felt like you missed the opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what to say. You know, I didn't want to be the teacher. I didn't want to have the responsibility. And I also didn't think I was appropriately to do that, you know. Um, but she, uh, actually reached out to another native teacher who was from New Mexico. This is how the world is so connected. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and that woman sat down with me and she said, um, I'd like to hear about your teacher, you know, Kiwi And I said, okay. And I started speaking about her and, you know, I can go on and on with stories. And, and she finally said, she finally cut me off. She said, okay, well, why did your teacher teach you for 20 years? Why did she do that? And I just went silent. And she said, I'm sure she had a reason. I said, all right, I understand. And she told me this, but I resisted maybe because she said the reason, and I wasn't her only student. She had other students. She said, the reason that I'm teaching you is because I believe in these ways, and I believe the, the earth, the planet needs this to live, and I'm planting, and this was her actual phrase I'm planting the seeds of consciousness within you so that you can carry them into the future when I am no longer here, so they live. Mm. I'm planting the seeds of consciousness in you. And she even would say when we would leave each other take care because you carry the seeds of consciousness. Take care of yourself, you're a carrier of these seeds.
0: Can you tell me what that means to you? You're a carrier of of the the seeds of consciousness.
1: Exactly. So it's this consciousness of our intrinsic value. It's this consciousness of our interrelated system that we're part of. It's all of this worldview, this old way of understanding, to carry that seed in a time when the world says, no, it doesn't matter, we can put the pipeline through, it doesn't matter if the water is polluted, we're going to make money. It doesn't matter if we cut up in the mountain and take out the coal. We're going to make money. See, that's a different consciousness. Mm-hmm. And this is the time, we're in a time now where that consciousness is losing its grip. More and more people are questioning that consciousness. Because money has not satisfied anything. Rich people aren't happier. They're also struggling with sorrow and grief and loss and displacement. and Isolation. And their souls are not met so money did not solve anything it did not help the human condition it in fact exasperated it further with a sense of who has and who has not with injustice and then in violence the violence that is perpetuated so we have a very broken world very deeply broken and how are we going to heal this it's a different consciousness that has to heal it and that's what I'm a carrier for for that consciousness to find its way again, to be rooted in people and in the world and in small groups and then larger groups and culture groups. And ultimately, if we can imagine this other time, none of us will be alive any longer, but this other time where people are born into a world of relationship, where intimacy matters. That's the seed we have to carry.
0: Where intimacy is the currency, the current is the current is that flows, yeah right,
1: yeah, I like that. I like how you said the currency, I totally yeah. love that is the, the currency, course. exactly, because that's what sustains life, you know connection, uh, connection is what <laughs> sustains life, and this very um this direction, you know we can actually look at it, we can see when the beginning of the mechanistic worldview started in Europe, you know we can track it. And we can see we're at the end of it. We're at the end of this cycle. And this is why things in the moment feel so crazy, I think. We all feel crazy. Because one whole system, one whole worldview, one whole kind of consciousness, it is coming to an end. And the people holding that are desperate. And their desperation is making them crazy, very crazy. And we're watching it like going like, oh my God, now what? You know, Because we see their desperation and the, the resulting crazy behavior of that desperation. But what, what we have to remain true to, I think, is not to get caught in the fear because it's easy to be afraid, but to say, you know what, this time too shall pass and I'm going to hold the consciousness I believe. I'm going to hold for love. I'm going to hold for connection. I'm going to hold for the sacred. I'm going to hold for that no matter what. I'm going to hold for that because that's the carrying. That's my responsibility to carry the lineage of love, to carry the lineage of connection, and to carry the lineage that all living things have value and all things are alive. The dirt is alive, right? All things are alive. And that's our fundamental relationships, to be intimate with moss, to be intimate with stone You know, to know our place in relationship to these things that are abiding, that abide. They have abided all this time and they're still abiding. And can we align ourselves with that abiding? Can we be patient enough, you know, and fearless and courageous enough to align with the abiding and to say yes to that? And that's really what I understood is she planted that seed in me for me now to come out in uh, my own way, you know, to speak and write of it in in bigger circles and in a more public way. To come out of hiding in a way.
0: So, do you have a poem called Moss
1: Abides (laughs) I haven't written that one yet (laughs) I should write that poem Moss Abides I love that
0: I I was wondering if perhaps you have some of your poetry you would offer us
1: well I opened the book randomly so I have to believe in that so this is um, The Healer's Diary it's one of uh, my books of poems that came out in 20... I think something like that yeah 2012 Um, and it's called Trilogy for the Atomic Physicist so this is a story of an atomic physicist who came to the elder Kiwidenokwe for healing and because someone told him how to petition correctly she had to accept she might not have because you know that upset her an atomic physicist you know (laughs) That With that violence against the earth, you know, to take an atom and smash it and use it as a weapon, you know, that offended all of her sensibilities. To use nature as a weapon, to split the fundamental building block of nature and make it something to kill people, to destroy life. This, this just everything she held as true, this was against. And here comes this man, this atomic physicist, with a petition made correctly given the correct words to ask her for a healing because his illness the doctor said we've done everything we can you have six months to live and he was desperate to live so I was her helper in this time I witnessed the petition and then I had to help her in his healing so I wrote a poem about that I'll just there's it's three parts to the poem but I'll read I'll read maybe the first two So the part one, the doctors had given up on him. That's when he came to her. I was there. I saw it. Perhaps you could say I was part of it, for I was the one to collect the leaves, dry them in half shade beneath the cedar tree on the shed roof. I was the one to heap the dried leaves onto the concave stone and light them, steadying my breath. I blew spark into the sweet smoke filling the willow lodge, kneeling on earth, above the cattail mat where he lay, the fever glint in his eyes. I touched the very places. My hand was her eagle fan, our faces in the mist of the green sacrifice, speaking the words I was taught until he softened. Then I stepped back, and that's when she emerged, barreling from the shadow to slap the dying man with a beaded bear paw. Startled, he shot up like an arrow to live for another decade. So that's, uh, you know, one of the healings I got to witness. (laughs) Wow. You know. Um, And the way in which uh, she was fearless. You know, she was fearless. How
0: extraordinary! How extraordinary to meet somebody who is fearless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, yeah, I can't can't even I can't even imagine mm-hmm. speaking with someone who is fearless. Would you say that you learned to be fearless from her?
1: Yeah, I was. Um, I was. I would ca- characterize myself as angry. I was an angry young woman. You know, I didn't like the choices that the society was offering me. And so that anger made me somewhat fearless, but it also made me foolhardy. And by that, I meant that even um, for me, part of that foolhardiness was uh, taking unnecessary risks. You know, so I would drink too much or take drugs or do, you know, I was pushing the envelope. And she was, um, like most traditional teachers, serious about sobriety, that you can't do the work if you're not sober. And part of why sobriety is important is because your heart should feel. And when you're using, your numbing. And if your heart can't feel the heart of the world, you can't heal. And if, uh,
0: if your heart is in your heart, your heart my heart has to be the counselor of my mind yes the the absolute counselor of my mind yeah. otherwise my mind is like the mind of donald trump Right, exactly, yeah, exactly, There's <laughs> no exactly. Little way to my <laughs> runaway mind if, if she doesn't
1: have the heart as a companion.
0: Right,
1: right. and part of this path, um, and you may have heard this term, uh, but part of this, this path are paths like these. Sometimes they're called the good red road. And if you've ever heard that saying, you know, and sometimes people have said to me, well, what does that mean, the good red road? And I said, well, this is what I was told. That the greatest journey you're going to ever take is on the road between your head and your heart. And if you don't make that journey, you, you cannot walk the good red road. The good red road is the road of the heart. Mm-hmm. But we're very much trained to be in our minds, to be in abstraction, to be in thought, and to run in circles like little you know, squirrels in cages, to be caught in our thinking as if thinking is real. How is thinking not real?
0: <laughs> I mean, how, how is our car not what takes us to the next place? Right, right, exactly.
1: And just think one day when we we're able with the seat of consciousness to say, actually in this moment I should be on the top of the mountain, and then I, I'm on the top of the mountain, do you see? I mean, this is the old training. I mean, yes. there, there were things that these old uh, medicine people understood how to do. That that they could be in two places at once. You know, there was tra- there's training for this, so we have. Can you do it? Can I? Sometimes, sometimes I've been in two places at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a sacrifice too because of the energy it takes to, to to do it. But if necessary, it can be done. When necessary, it can be done. And so these are some of the things that. Quantum physics has begun to say, you know, Mm -hmm. quantum physics has begun to teach us, oh, yeah, we think the book is solid. It's just really mostly made of space, just like we are mostly open and empty. Potential. That's what we mostly are, is potential. And when I, I can barely grasp that, right? But when we start to understand that even a little bit, that's when we believe in change. That's when we believe even Donald Trump could wake up and go, what the hell am I doing? Do you know even that is possible that people people can change, we can change ourselves, and our relationships can change, and that this potentiality lives in us is our birthright. so poetry is wonderful that way because it's such a direct language of the soul, it doesn't have to follow the rules of grammar. It doesn't have to follow the structure of our thinking the way other kinds of prose writing follows a certain linear structure. So, poetry is one of those languages that cracks the world open. And Kiwetinokwe was also a poet. Really? She loved that possibility that you could have awakening through language. Yes. You know? Yes. And she believed in that. She um, also talked about it as story medicine that there's medicine in our stories and there's medicine in language and that medicine to heal, even though there's also the wound in our stories Mm -hmm. and the wounding in language, there's also this healing that resides there. So there's tremendous power as as that fundamental idea to be in relationship with language. My favorite subject... Um. (laughs) We are coming
0: to uh, to closing here, and what my heart tells me is that I would really like you to share with us what you offer to your students mm. here. Okay. Uh, an eco psychology program.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So, um, what we have right now that we're offering are weekend intensives that a student can... And these are open to anyone in the community. So they're not just for graduate students here at the college. Of course they are for the graduate students in here. In Santa Fe, New Mexico. Anyone anywhere can take the class. I, had a, oh, yeah. I just taught one last week, and then a woman flew in from Minneapolis. Okay. And I've, for other classes, I've had people come down from Colorado. or So anyone, they're open to anyone. And they're uh, three times a year weekend intensives. The most recent one was called Sacred Connections. And so we gathered on a Friday evening to set every student. uh, We did a process, a kind of guided process, to come up with a clear intention for a medicine walk. And a medicine walk is a time in nature, in silence, on the land. And for this particular medicine walk, I went way up north to the wild rivers where the Rio Grande and the Red River converge Mm -hmm. because it's one, there's so many beautiful and powerful land-based places in New Mexico to just go to a place like the convergence of two mighty rivers Mm -hmm. and to understand in ourselves our two mighty rivers and the potential for the convergence. So I took the students to that place on the earth to experience outside of themselves what they can wake up inside of themselves to know and name their two mighty rivers and to consider what would happen if they converge and their life becomes integrated and whole. And so that was our weekend process. We went up Saturday. We spent the whole day. uh, We spent the time on the land in silence and prayer. I said, you must, uh, we made little prayer ties, little medicine bags. I showed them the technique. And we made them Friday night. And I said, somewhere on the earth, you must leave this thank you. You must be in reciprocity. Mm -hmm. If you gather something from a place, something energetic, not physically that you're taking anything here, but you're gathering something, some awareness, some energy for your life, you're going to give a thank you. And you're going to put that on the earth in an intentional way. And you choose that spot through your day, but you must make that offering back to, to remind yourself about intimate relationship. It's not just for you to take what you can take. You must give back, or the gift you receive is not going to be good for you. Something in it won't work. So be full, you know, be in that fullness. And then on um, Sunday, we gathered back on campus and they wrote and drew images of their experience. And then we did a sharing circle, each person sharing something that they gained. And each person had a stone that we released into water of what they need to release in order to go forward. What is it that now you're ready to give up? What, what idea, what's happening? Whether some people gave up shame, some people gave up separation. Yeah. Do you know all these things that burden us? Yes. And for us to be free, to be engaged, there are things we have to shed our sense of worthlessness, mm-hmm. you know. So we, we did a whole ceremony in which we uh, affirmed each other where we were growing and what we were releasing. So they're kind of ceremonial, earth-based intensives that I offer for whomever is interested. So that's kind of the structure. And then once a year, the school does a vision quest. Carol Parker leads those, and she's another great person to talk to. Okay, um, great. Um, she does it in the lineage of a place called the School of Lost Borders, which does trainings around how to do group vision quests. The way I was trained was individual. I went out individually, and I, I take people out individually. I don't do that in the context of the school, right. partly because the way I was trained, it's a year to prepare because you have to learn the prayers and the language. and oh, right. So I'm carrying that those ceremonies forward. But that I don't do quite in the school because it's sort of too much. Um, and you have to really be called to do that. You have to have a calling for that. But in the vision quest the school does, it's designed really to take a group into the wilderness and let each person have their four-day fast on the land. So we do that every September at Canyon de Chez, mm-hmm. And we do it in partnership with the Navajo there in Canyon de Chez. So that happens once a year in September. So,
0: uh, a, a quick uh, a
1: quick, well, it can be quick because it's very deep.
0: <laughs> a quick poem before we close,
1: please. Okay. Um, what I would love to do is um, one of the traditional songs oh. as a closing. So this song is in the language. It's very simple. What I'm saying is, um, I'm giving gratitude from my heart. I'm saying miigwech, which means thank you, but I'm saying. Not just thank you, but I'm in a state of gratitude. My whole being is going to be here in this state of gratitude, so it's that kind of invitation also for us all to be in a state of gratitude. So it goes like this: Amigwechwein, ma babi madasiwin. Amigwechwein, ma babi win a mi gwe win ma Bobby bi ma da si win a mi gwe win ma Bobby bi ma da si win Ho. Oh.